Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. It is my favorite time of year. I love summertime. Anybody love summer? How many of you like winter is your favorite time of the year? Anybody love? Really? Winter? You guys live in Montreal. How can you love winter? By the way, it's great to have the Lubies here with us visiting from Montreal down for the week, and they have an amazing ministry helping rescue victims of uh, the sex trade and, se- and, and human slavery and that kind of stuff. You guys met Dustin, her husband, who was here a couple of months ago, and now she's down just visiting, and we love you and your family. We love what you're doing. They are on the front lines of some of the stuff you're hearing about in the news, and we champion your cause. We love what you're doing. So, um, But yeah, Montreal... Montreal winter. I'm not quite so sure about that one. How many of you love fall? Anybody love fall? It's the season of death. What's wrong with you? Everything dies in the fall. That's strange. What about springtime? Any springtime people? Okay. I'm a summer guy. I would take summer year round. I lived in Australia playing basketball uh, for a couple of years, and I would spend spring and summer, because they have opposite seasons, and I would spend spring and summer in Australia and then come back here and get spring and summer here. So for four years, I never saw winter. Best four years of my, well, except for the last you know, couple of years here, the best four years of my life was escaping it. What I love about, when, about summer, I'm not going to lie to you. I have Bermuda grass in my front yard. In fact, this is a picture of my lawn. Let's just take a look at it for a little while. That's not artificial turf. That's my grass. Now, I'm not saying that you're supposed to worship your lawn because, you know, God is God. He's a jealous God. But if there ever was a lawn worthy of worship, I'm pretty sure that would come pretty close to it. I love it because Bermuda is when everybody else's uh, grass, their fescue starts to brown up and mine just thrives. And all my neighbors look at me and they're like, what do you do to get your grass so green? And in, in my humble heart, I just tell them, I'm not letting you know because then your grass would be greener than mine and I would lose the contest that nobody else entered but me, but I'm winning. So that's all that matters. But I love it when it gets hot because my Bermuda just thrives. And so I want to share a scripture with you from Matthew chapter 13. It's actually Jesus telling a parable. And in verse 24, it says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everybody was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed seeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? It was funny, but driving down to eastern North Carolina for this retreat, there were soybean fields everywhere, and then we passed one field, and there's like five stalks of corn in this one thing of soybean. I thought, boy, that really stuck out. How funny is that? Apparently, some Corn seed got mixed in with the soybean seed. Made me think of this verse. The owner servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you... Well, there you go. Next verse. Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this. Who did this? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, 
do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let them grow together until the harvest. At that time, I'll tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So this is a parable that Jesus is telling. He went to sow a crop with a very specific result in mind. He was looking for wheat. Nobody plants wheat hoping to get weeds. Where do the weeds come from? Jesus says it's because an enemy came and sowed a different seed than what he had planted and what he had in mind. But Jesus' reaction to this story is very interesting. Because I'm the kind of guy that wants to go pull weeds. Obviously, I spend some time pulling some... I'm just having a good go at this. Can we please be the picture of my lawn back up here? That's what everyone came to see today was a picture of my... There we go. Just kidding. I like to pull weeds because I want that end result. That's the result. When I planted my grass, that's what I had in mind. But I promise you that in the springtime, my lawn does not look like that. It is covered in these stinking little... I don't have crabgrass, so I got that taken care of. But these little weeds pop up all over the place And when everybody else's fescue looks great because it comes out in the springtime, mine is not looking so great. My Bermuda is brown and dormant, and all these weeds keep cropping up. But I learned something that I refer to as the rule of the lawn. If you want to have a really good green lawn like that, spend more time growing the grass than you do pulling the weeds. You see, the healthiest defense against weeds, the best defense against weeds, guess what it is? A healthy lawn. Because when you have a healthy lawn, it chokes out the weeds around it. When you focus more on growing the grass, on feeding the grass, on watering the grass, of creating the right environment where grass can grow, that grass will begin to thrive and will choke out any weed that tries to take its place because they're all competing for the same nutrients, the same water, and the same sunlight. But if you focus on growing grass, the weeds will eventually get choked out. So I have to have patience. I have to have patience. I want to go out there and pull up every single weed, and I'm pretty bad about it in the springtime, and I've got to go, no, I put the fertilizer down in time, it will go green. And then you put the fertilizer down and you have a drought for like two weeks. I'm like, I don't think the fertilizer's working. And then you get that one heavy downpour. Remember that one that was just a couple of weeks ago, like the sky bottomed out. And within one day, my grass looks like that. Like all the things were done that needed to be done. I just needed to wait for the rain to come. And then my grass came out. You see, the fact is, weeds will always pop up. This is a picture of our own hearts. If our hearts are this lawn, if we focus on letting the seed that God has placed in your heart grow and nurturing that seed, watering that seed, and less time 
just trying to get all of the bad stuff out of your heart, I think you'll find that the seed that God has placed in you, the gospel of the kingdom that's inside of you, if you focus more on letting that seed grow, you'll do a lot less weed pulling when the time comes when the rains actually come. Are you following me? Weeds will always pop up. And Jesus just said, just leave them. We'll take care of them later. Truth is, some weeds do need to be pulled. Like there are times if I see crabgrass, I'm like, okay, that one's got to go. And when it comes to the condition of your heart, there are some weeds that you just can't ignore. Because if you pull a couple of them, it keeps them from multiplying and becoming more. But there's always lots of little stuff. There's, I don't know what it's called, but there's one that it's like a ground cover and it's impossible to pull up because it's really brittle and you go to pull it up and you only get a little piece of it and you can't get down and get the root. I just go, I'm just going to leave it because when the grass comes, it'll choke that stuff out. I've had to learn how to do that because a healthy lawn will choke out the strongest of the weeds. The problem is the weeds always grow faster than the grass. Have you noticed that? Have you noticed that when you actually start to look at the condition of your heart, to look at what's coming out of your life, the moment you begin to to have that look on the inside, what you notice is the weeds. You notice all the things you don't want. Ooh, there's that anger thing that's cropped up again. Man, I feel like this, this lack of faith or... Why is it this this lust thing that just keeps cropping up every time I take a look at my heart? When's the good stuff going to come about? But yet when you believe Jesus, when you trust in him, and when you receive forgiveness of your sins, there's a seed that's inside of you that's going to take a little time to grow. You're going to notice the weeds first, but if you nurture the seed that's in you, eventually that grows and chokes out everything else. Because often when you give your life to Jesus, all hell breaks loose. Has anybody ever noticed that? Like, why is it the time that I came to the front, gave my heart to Jesus? I was like, all right, Lord, I'm all in. You're, I'm 100%. I'm, I'm with you. And we're like, all right, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket because I got Jesus right now, you know? And then you lose your job and your dog dies and, you know, you, you, all, everything bad happened. What, what just happened? What in the world? I thought this was supposed to be better. Why do I feel worse now than I did before? And you got to realize they're just weeds. They're just weeds. And Jesus said, let them grow. In fact, let them grow right next to the good crop that he wants to bring in you. There's one difference between the weeds in my grass and the grass itself. When the Bermuda starts to come out, you got to mow it. I mow my lawn twice a day. I'm crazy, but twice a, uh, twice a day. <laughs> Y'all looked at each other and said, he's lying, or he has seriously got some problems. Twice a week, twice a week, twice a week, which is still a lot, but it's not quite twice a day. <sighs> I mow my lawn twice a week because... It can stand the mowing, but weeds can't take mowing. They need to be left alone. They need to just be, just leave us in alone, pretend like we're, leave us alone, pretend like we're not here, and pretty soon they grow up, and then they shoot seeds everywhere, and it multiplies, but they can't stand the constant mowing, because when you mow it, it doesn't have a chance to produce seed. 
And eventually, if you cut it low enough and often enough, the Bermuda loves it because the Bermuda has roots, actually rhizomes that go into the ground, and it's just the blade that all it needs is the sunlight. But everything it needs to thrive is in the ground, but the weed needs to spread its seed from the outside. So if you keep mowing, that weed never sprouts seeds. It never multiplies. So when it comes to the condition of our heart, (laughs) it's the constant mowing of our hearts. It's us submitting our hearts to the pruning shears of the Holy Spirit that will make what's in your heart that God put there thrive And the weeds that grow up that the enemy sows in there won't be able to survive. And I think in my own life, I've had to make a decision. Am I going to be a weed puller or am I going to be a grass grower? You see, in John chapter 15, verse 2, it says, speaking of Jesus, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it can be even more fruitful. I'm talking about a lawnmower in my grass. But when it comes to the condition of our hearts, Jesus will take pruning shears to you just like we cut the grass. He's going to trim off the stuff in you that's not bearing fruit. Now here's the thing about the pruning process. Because the enemy wants to do something very similar to that. The enemy wants to cut things out of your life. He wants to steal your kids. He wants to steal your job. He wants to steal your joy. And it can seem like the same process because a blade is a blade, right? But there's a difference between a hacking blade of a machete-wielding maniac and a surgeon's scalpel. Still a blade, but one brings healing and the other brings death. You see, when the enemy comes to cut things off of you, John 10.10 says he comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus comes to give life. So when the Lord cuts things out of your life, it's not to hurt you. It's so that you will be more fruitful. And the fruit that God wants to bring in your life, the fruit of the gospel, is not just winning more Christians, though it's part of it. It's the fruit for you of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. I want that stuff in my life. Have you ever looked at your life and you just thought, God, if I can get rid of all this stuff, I'll have peace. And God's going, you don't have to get rid of anything for my peace. I'll give you peace in the midst of the storm. I'll give you joy in the midst of your pain. You don't have to have the external circumstances for you to experience the love that I have for you. You see, when the enemy cuts stuff out of your life, it's to steal it. But when God does it, it's so that you'll be more fruitful. I think part of me understanding this process of discipleship and maturity in him is that pruning is a reward. You know why you're pruned? Because you bear fruit. Hey, you bore fruit. Well done. Here's the shears. Wait a minute. What? Pruning, that hurts. That's not nice. Why are you going to cut stuff out of my life? Oh, yeah. That's so that you'll be more fruitful. 
It's a reward. So, (laughs) I was thinking about this. What does it mean to be pruned back? What is the pruning that God does? I can speak for my own life, and the experience that I've had with others is, is pretty similar. You know what the pruning has been in my own heart? It means that I can't get away with stuff that I used to be able to get away with. Anybody ever notice that? Like when you're a brand new Christian, the stuff I used to think and do, I'm just like, God, I just want to apologize right now for all that stuff that I did as a young Christian because God kind of lets you get away with it for a little while. And the Apostle Paul wrote about that and he said that there was a time when you could only drink milk. So I was giving you milk, but there's a time when you got to start taking on some solid food. You see, there were some things that I got away with as a young Christian that I can't get away with anymore. It's a reward. I remember... This will sound really stupid, but trust me, it it, it was meaningful for me. When I was a kid, I was a litter bug. You know what I mean? Like I'd open up a candy wrapper and I'd be like, I never paid any attention to it whatsoever. Whatever I was eating or a piece of trash, just throw it on the ground and keep going. Someone else is going to pick it up, right? Then all of a sudden I began this process of discipleship, of really pursuing God for my own heart, for my own life, and thinking, God... I know you love me and I'm a Christian, but I just want more. I sense there's more. I want to go deeper. I want to expose more of my heart to you. I want to be fully cleansed. I feel like I'm missing out on something. I know I'm going to heaven. I got that. But I feel like there's more to life here than what I'm currently experiencing. And then I read, wait a minute. Jesus said, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So Jesus is praying that heaven can come to earth. I thought heaven was the place you go when when you die. But Jesus said, on earth as it is in heaven, we can have heaven on earth. I can be experiencing all the things that I have in heaven while I'm on this earth. What do I need for that? And then the Holy Spirit goes, well, I'm glad you asked. Here's the shears. (laughs) Whoa, I didn't know that was the process. So now all of a sudden as I'm wanting to go further in God... I'm throwing a wrapper on the ground, and I hear, go pick it up. I'm like, not an audible voice. I just mean the thought, go pick it up. <laughs> that was. And as I'm walking away, it's getting louder and louder. Go pick it up. Go pick it up. To the point, I couldn't keep going because this voice was kept in my head. And I went back and picked it up. To this day, I can't not, like, Put a piece of trash on the ground and just leave it. You know how you do it sometimes and you're like, I take my kids to the movies, I think I drive them crazy. There's two things in this world that drive me crazy. Unflushed public toilets. Guys, come on. I'm pretty sure the ladies don't do this. They do? Okay. Romy and I spent three and a half years cleaning every toilet in the church every single week. And I, that's probably what did it for me. It's because I realized, how can you use a toilet and just leave it unflushed? So to this day, when I go in a public restroom, I will flush every single, well, actually, I will flush every single urinal. It's the advantage of long legs. Don't touch those things with your hands. Because it just drives me crazy. So that's one thing that drives me crazy. It has nothing to do with our message. It just popped in my head. Stay on track, Clayton. We're getting somewhere. What was the other thing that drives me crazy? Oh, 
going to the movies and when people just leave their popcorn bucket on the ground. Oh, that drives me crazy. Like you get your drink and your popcorn and you just get up from the movies and walk out. I'm like, who do you think is going to do that? Like you're not helping keep someone employed by leaving your popcorn bucket on the ground, right? And there's a side of me that wants to tell everybody in the movie that, whoa, shut the doors. Everybody go pick up your trash. What's wrong with you people? But see, you know what that is? That's called an overactive conscience. You see, this was a conviction that the Holy Spirit put on my heart. I used to be able to get away with that stuff, but now God's going, go pick it up. Now, there may not be some massive spiritual significance to picking up your popcorn bucket. I just know that I was obedient to the Holy Spirit. The problem with this is, if you don't understand that discipleship is a process that's happening in you, you will take the pruning shears that are meant for you and put them on other people. And you know what? I am not the pruner. I am not the gardener. He is. And when we take the pruning shears that have been used on us and try to go use them on other people, guess what that's called? Legalism. And you end up hurting people instead of helping them. But if you lead people to the pruner, to the gardener, he will do the pruning that that person needs. I remember I had a friend of mine. Y'all looking back here. Did something crash or something? It is? Oh, it fell apart. I blame Norm. So I don't blame Norm. I'm just, just teasing you. For those of you watching on the podcast, something on the stage just fell, and we're probably in trouble with our host church, so we're going to fix it before the end of the night. Um, Overactive conscience, thank you. That was just a test to make sure you're listening. But I remember, I had this friend, that's what it was, I had this friend, and uh, he came from a pretty, pretty uh, like partying background and everything, and he, we were pretty new in this church that we were in, and, and he got saved in our church, and so I'm kind of the guy helping follow this guy up and disciple him and, and uh, kind of help him from the decision to becoming a disciple, and I remember this guy was like the, the partier guy, and you know, but now he's gotten saved, and he's just like flipped. He's on fire for God. But he would sit in my car and he'd be like, Clayton, we have got to do something about all these Christians who are still drinking alcohol. It's ridiculous. How can you be a Christian and let alcohol touch your lips? You and I, we need to go drag these guys out of the bars and go, what do you think you're doing? You're ruining your testimony. Stop drinking alcohol. This is crazy. Or all these guys that like don't know Jesus, we got to get him to stop drinking. I was like, um, hey, maybe we can tell him about Jesus first. Maybe that would be a good start. But I remember sitting with this guy in my car, and he went from being the party animal himself to this super legalistic guy, because all that was happening was he was having these pruning shears applied to him by the Holy Spirit. Because now the Holy Spirit wasn't letting him get away with what he used to get away with, drunkenness. And now he thought, oh, I'm supposed to apply that to everybody else. So I'm like, hey, dude, 
Maybe you just let God do that work in you. And then let him do the work in others that he wants to do in their hearts and their lives. Luckily, he kind of learned the lesson and uh, hopefully he didn't go too far the other way. But he's now pastoring a huge church uh, in another part of the country. So I think he, he, he kind of got it after a while. But I want to make sure that in this pruning process that there's two things that happen. Number one is that we are submitting our hearts to the pruner. It's hard because when you cross the line from just attending a church, I prayed a prayer somewhere down the line. I, I might have even come to the front. I think I got a packet somewhere. I got a Bible. Or maybe, you know what, I was baptized as a kid somewhere, and I think I'm covered that way. When you go from that moment to, I just think there's more. I want more. God, there's more. You promise an abundant life, and I'm not experiencing abundance right now. And when you step out, sometimes the first thing you see after the love and the draw of God is the pruning shears. And you're going, what is that? I wanted the love. I wanted the fertilizer. I wanted the good stuff. And he goes, yeah, you've borne fruit. Now it's time for some pruning. The first step is to submit yourself to the pruning. There may be some things that God wants to cut out of your life. There may be some things that have borne fruit in your past, but is not bearing fruit anymore. And he wants to prune them back. Here's the difference between his pruning and the enemy's. The enemy just wants to hack to injure. But when God prunes, this is what he does. You see, if you're trying to grow a tomato plant, I've learned this. The one thing that will wreck a tomato plant's fruitfulness is if you let a runner happen, which is a stalk that just grows really fast and long, but is not actually bearing much fruit. And what you'll do with that stalk is you don't cut the whole thing off. But do you know what you do? You cut it back to the last place that it bore fruit. And that's the process that God wants to do with you. He doesn't want to hack stuff off your life. He just wants to prune it back to the last place that it bore fruit. And when you cut it there, a very unique thing happens to tomato plants. It often grows too. You see, when you submit yourself to the pruning that the Holy Spirit wants to do in your heart, this process of revival. The fear of us doing that is he's going to take away something that I really like. If it's me, God, if I submit yourself to the pruning shears, please don't take my bike away. That's all I'm asking. But we fear that, don't we? And he just goes, no, no, no. I'm not taking your bike away. But you remember when you used to go get on your bike so that you could spend time with me in prayer? You haven't done that in a while. Maybe we'll trim back that extra group ride and just come hang out with me. Or maybe, for me, throw away your bike computer. Oh, that's a tough one. And just, just come with me. You see, he's trimming it back to the last place that it bore fruit. I don't know what that is for you, but if you submit your life to the pruner, you're actually submitting it to the master gardener. So pruning is only part of the process. 
but you'll begin to bear bigger and better fruit. Do you know the biggest tomato plants never produce the best fruit? Often the best fruit, the most tasty fruit, comes from a smaller plant that keeps getting pruned. Hmm. I often wonder if my grass gets tired of me cutting it. I think thoughts like this, I really do. Are you thanking me for what I'm doing for you right now? But when the grass submits to the cutting, the weeds can't keep up. And instead of the grass growing tall, do you know what the grass does? It grows that way. And it spreads. Pruning is a reward. Psalm 37, verse 9. Sorry, Psalm 37, verse 7 through 9. It says, quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as long as you long for God to come through for you. And don't think for a moment that the wicked in their prosperity are better off than you. And stay away from anger and revenge. You see, to me, I, I, I hear, oh, there's more. Keep envy. No, you guys were on it. Keep envy far from you, for it only leads you into lies. For one day the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will live safe and sound with blessing overflowing. That's what he's saying. Quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Stop pulling weeds. You see, if I'm not careful, I've been out there kicking a soccer ball with my son before the Bermuda comes up, and I'm like, ooh, there's five weeds there. And I'm start pulling up weeds, and he's just, I haven't realized it, but he's sitting there with a soccer ball waiting for me to finish pulling weeds so he can kick the ball with me. I'm like, okay, I've got my priorities out of whack. And if I'm not careful, I'm out there on my hands and knees with a flashlight at night pulling up. It may have happened a few times, making sure that all those weeds are actually gone. But you can spend your life pulling weeds. You can spend your life this introspective Lord, search me and know me. See if there's any unclean way within me, which is a good prayer to pray. But if that's the only prayer you're playing, praying and you just keep looking for weeds to pull, you're going to find weeds that aren't even there because the enemy will start to sow lies telling you you're this and you're that. And you're going, oh God, get this jealousy and strife and anger and resentment. And he's like, you don't have any of that. What are you talking about? But if you focus more on the seed that's in you, how? Quiet your heart in his presence and pray. Keep hope alive as you long for God to come through. He will come through. It's an interesting thing that Jesus says about don't pull up the weeds because you may pull up the wheat too. Just let it grow alongside of it. I think there might be another reason for that. You see, when Jesus was on the earth, he had his 12 disciples gathered around him and they were following him along as he's teaching and, and doing miracles and it's pretty incredible. He's just says like come follow me and they drop everything and follow him. What a great commitment. Like they're in. I'm in. I don't want to be on the sidelines observing. Jesus, we're in. But there was always moments, even along this whole journey, when they're like, this guy, he's opening blind eyes. He's doing this stuff. But there's a part of him that was always kind of like, 
I think he's the Messiah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. But that's a big commitment level to say that he's the Messiah. Because all their life, they've grown up saying if anybody calls themselves the Messiah and they're not, they're going to be killed. And everybody who believed along with them. It's a pretty all-in moment, right? And so for them following Jesus, like we at least know this guy's a prophet because he's performing miracles we haven't seen before. Pretty sure he might be the Messiah, but there's always that side that's like, I think he is, but I'm not going to say it because if I do, then there might be some problems if he's not. So I'm kind of reserving that last 5% just in case he's not. Jesus sensing this one day. He's sitting around with his, his disciples and he says, hey, who do people say that I am? And they're like, you know what? Some of them say that you're Elijah. Some of them say that you're a prophet. Some of them say this. Some of them say that. And he goes, oh, that's interesting. Hey, who do you say I am? And Peter answers up and he says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And it was the first time any of them had said it. And I think some of them were like, I'm glad somebody else said it because I was thinking it, but I didn't say it. And he drew the line. And Jesus tells him, because when he said that, his name wasn't Peter. His name was Simon. Simon is the one who said, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. But when Simon said that, Jesus says, you are Peter. Peter or Petra in Greek means rock. And he says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Do you know what Simon means? It means weed. He went from being a weed to a rock. Why do I think sometimes God says, let some of the weeds grow? Because you may just be that weed. There may be some growing up next to you. And you may be thinking, this guy's just not getting it. Like he's here, but he's not really with us. Trust me, as a pastor, I look out and I go, God, I want everybody all in. And not everybody is always all in. And sometimes you see people hanging by a thread. Like, God, if this person gets offended in the slightest, I know they're going to go. Or, God, I feel like they're, they're here, but this is such a hard stretch for them. As we're pushing this revival thing, as we are really wanting people to engage God at a different level, I know how much of a struggle this is for them, and I feel like they're hanging on a thread. And if we push the envelope too much, if we have too many people speaking in tongues, if we have too many prophetic words, they might just go, look, this is too weird and I'm gone. And God goes, let them grow right next to the wheat. Because there might be one day, just like Simon, where the light bulb goes off and he goes, no, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And those ones who are growing up on the fringe, the ones who were kind of there but not all in, 
will become the rock that Jesus will build his church on. I think in my heart, some ways, I was Simon. I was the one that was like, I want to get closer, but there's some stuff here I don't really understand yet. And man, I've been in some, you think our environment's a little challenging? I've been in some Holy Spirit-free environments, and I'm just like, this is so much of a stretch for me. I'm so in out of my depth. But it's okay. Because I know that God is here. And even though I don't understand things that are happening in here right now, I don't want to miss him in all of this. And I know that for me, that process of being willing to engage God at a level much beyond what I'm comfortable with has led to that same rock of revelation in my own heart. That God goes, because you've stepped beyond where you're comfortable I'm going to meet you in that place, and you're going to go from becoming a weed. Anybody ever felt like a weed? I don't fit here. To a rock. Can I pray for you? Father God, I just thank you that that you don't abandon us. And even though there's times that we may feel like We don't fit. Why is everybody else here getting it and I'm struggling? Why does everybody else seem to move in the prophetic that we're talking about? But, man, I'm just happy to come sing some songs and hang out with some people and read my Bible. But, God, I thank you that when we decide to engage beyond what we're comfortable with, We're not stepping in a territory that's unfamiliar to you because you're already ahead of us, waiting for us to get there. And you don't leave us, you don't abandon us, but you love us. And I pray for every person here, God, for all of us, that we would become grass growers and not weed pullers, that we would learn to cultivate and water and fertilize the seed of the gospel that's within us so that we can bear more fruit. And Lord, we submit ourselves to the pruning shears knowing that it may hurt for a minute, but you don't do it to injure. You do it so that we will bear more fruit. And I pray, God, that you would begin to cut things out of our life that are not bearing fruit, that we would see the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the gentleness, the self-control that only you can bring in our lives in increasing measure. Because when we bear that fruit, it's for others to enjoy as well. That our families are blessed because we've borne fruit. That our families benefit from the joy that you're bringing to us. We're a joy to be around. God, help us to resist the overactive conscience, to take the shears that you've used on us and use them on others that we would remember that you are the gardener, not us. And I thank you, Lord, that you love us very much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.